0: Welcome back. I'm your host, Jared Johnson, and here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about the bigger picture that's being revealed by CVS's acquisition of Oak Street Health. What's possible if hospitals and health systems finally take a chapter out of the retail playbook and invest in making their consumer experience a competitive advantage? I'll talk about that. Then Mitch Holdwick joins me for the first of a series of Disruptor Profiles. Mitch and I dive deep into Allidade, the physician-led ACO, and how it's claimed to save more than a billion dollars by supporting independent primary care providers. It's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the week. CVS Health's newest blockbuster acquisition isn't just the latest escalation in the retail health race. It's one of the greatest signals yet that traditional healthcare could be headed towards becoming, well, less traditional and at an accelerated pace. CVS Health announced that they will acquire Oak Street Health in an all-cash transaction at $39 a share, which represents a value of approximately $10.6 billion. Oak Street employs approximately 600 primary care providers and operates 169 centers across 21 states. As usual, very little of the news coverage that I've seen incorporates the consumer's point of view, so let me try to connect some of the dots and sum up what I think this might mean to everyday health consumers. CVS has been very public about its quest to acquire a primary care infrastructure, so the big picture here is that if they can scale Oak Street's model, it could potentially bring the benefits of value-based, membership-driven primary care to millions more seniors. Because it's a value-based model and it's in the Medicare Advantage space, there's lots of low-hanging fruit. From an everyday standpoint, I could see potential benefits for members to fill prescriptions at more locations or receive discounts at CVS stores. The other possibility could be once they have a true primary care delivery structure in place, they could be positioned to connect that with their newfound at-home care capabilities from the Signify Health acquisition. And at that point, you're talking about a true continuum of care that happens all outside of a doctor's office. Dr. Adam Brown is a healthcare strategist and practicing ER doctor, and I like the take-home points that he shared on LinkedIn. He said, the play here is cost reductions, control, and access. The result will be significant control of six main healthcare sectors for the patients and customers they serve. Number one, retail pharmacy through CVS stores. Number two, acute care providers through Minute Clinics. Number three, long-term care providers and home health through Signify Health. Number four, primary care for Medicare patients through Oak Street Now. Number five, insurance and Medicare Advantage programs through Aetna. And number six, pharmacy benefit managers or PBMs through CVS Caremark. What's missing, he asked? Hospitals and pharmaceutical manufacturing and development. So, what will be the role of hospitals moving forward? This is the question I keep asking. And it's important to note that this deal didn't necessarily mark the beginning of their evolution, but it might accelerate it. Like I said three weeks ago, this move feels like we could be 10 billion steps closer to a version of healthcare that's less hospital-centric, which could actually be liberating to our health system friends who are struggling to reconfigure their growth strategies to address today's consumers, as well as to stay afloat amid historically challenging financial and staffing pressures. Now listen, there will always be space for innovative hospitals and health systems. But the rank and file that plod along with fee-for-service sit care as their only revenue driver might find themselves being squeezed out as the retail primary care wars determine where referrals go. The business systems that were built to prop up fee-for-service weren't built for that. Now imagine if they finally take a chapter out of the retail playbook and invest in making their consumer experience a competitive advantage. If you know me at all, you know that I'm not advocating for one side here to win and another to lose. I'm not keeping score that way. There's space for innovators in every direction. Because when quality care is accessible and affordable, consumers win. And that's the score I care about. So let's keep exploring this vision where retailers, hospitals, and value-based primary care coexist for the benefit of everyone. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the Week. All right, everyone, let's get into the flow. Give it up for Mitch Holdwick. Mitch is back. He's here joining us for a set of episodes as we profile some of the disruptors in the primary care space. Mitch, welcome back. Thanks, Jared. Good to be
1: back, man. It's been uh, it's been too long, but good always to stay connected in between these opportunities, and I appreciate you having me on.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like to say it's not totally selfish to have you on because, yes, we do get to banter a little bit about baseball, and yes, the (laughs) season's coming up not too far from now where I imagine pitchers and catchers report, I don't know, in a few weeks? Yeah,
1: I always say it's my, uh, I eagerly anticipate the first hiss and pop of the baseball hitting the catcher's mitt, and that's like the, that's the sign that baseball is back. And any other baseball fans out there know exactly what I'm talking about. But it, uh, yeah, you know, being in, in Chile, Southeast Michigan, the thought of spring and baseball is what keeps us going. So we are, we're, we're getting close and I can't wait.
0: I can imagine that right away and any predictions you want to make or just commentary about the upcoming season and any teams that have been catching your eye or any moves in the offseason?
1: As you know, I'm a a diehard Detroit Tigers fan, and it's going to be a, we'll call it a rebuilding season. There's not going to be a lot of success as far as a win-loss record goes, but I'm excited to see some young players develop. I'm also excited for the World Baseball Classic that's back this year, so get a chance to see... Uh, Some of those countries, the Dominican Republic in particular, I don't know if you've seen their lineup, but it's just ridiculous. Just one through nine, the entire rotation. It's like a dream team. So it'll be fun to watch a combination of uh, spring training, but also the World Baseball Classic come back this year.
0: Nice. Well, I can't help but think about a couple of former Astros who are out there on the market this this offseason. Uh, first, the inevitable JV, uh, Justin Verlander getting shipped over to the Mets. Yep. Uh, nothing but love there. Happy to to see that. Uh, the Mets always seem to rebuild and, and have no no limits to their spending. So we'll see how they go. But um, even on paper, that team sure looks fire.
1: They do. And JV, man, it's crazy. I think I saw a stab where he's considered the number two pitcher in baseball just based on his ability. He's still continuing to have success with Cy Young's, MVPs, World Series, and he's got he's got something figured out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the other one, uh, of, of course, was a Carlos Correa, who, how many teams did he think he had signed with before? Yeah, I think he's
1: on plan C. I think the Twins are is plan C. I don't know, I, nobody's really like made that joke, but I feel like that's how I would feel. Because, yeah, he went from the Giants.
0: The Mets were in there somewhere at one point, and yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, and then he finally landed it with Plan C. So that's what he's up to. Yeah.
0: There you go. There you go. But, you know, I feel like it all worked out. I mean, he's getting 300 plus million dollars. So he'll be just fine. Yeah.
1: No complaints there. No complaints. (laughs) He'll be okay. (laughs) He'll be
0: fine. For sure. So tell you what, why don't we dig into this, this whole topic? I'm excited to get back to this format of profiling some of the disruptors in the space. And like I said, this is going to be a set of a few episodes that we'll be releasing here in the near future. And this first one, we're just going to focus on Allidade, which is an institution, Mitch, that I don't think you or I were necessarily that familiar with until they started getting on a radar screen about some of the things they do because they're not in the same retail space, which we end up talking a lot about retailers here, Best Buy, Dollar General, and then the big four, Amazon, CVS, Walmart, Walgreens. And that's not where Alladate is, but what they're doing, focusing on the clinical side and the ACO side of things, the accountable care, which is a term I hear less and less of, is still extremely interesting to me. And I think the ability, where we want to focus on, is their ability to impact the individual experience of healthcare. And so with that, let's talk about some of the things, just some of the basics about these guys at first, and I want to get just your, your first thoughts. But just so people know who Allidade is, uh, they're known as a, an organization that helps independent primary care practices succeed in a physician-led ACO or accountable care organization. So, you know, according to their own words, they help primary care practices improve their care, lower costs, and earn shared savings. It's a pretty standard or traditional ACO model from what I understand. And yet, what they've been able to do with it is pretty notable so a couple of the things that kind of stood out as we were looking there, uh, they they do have an app. They use a lot of, I'd consider them tech first or digital first. They have a lot of, again, some of the pillars of accountable care, which would be data sharing and focusing on quality. They also focus on cost efficiency and savings. And they they feel like they're really successful here. In fact, one one piece of content that they've shared was really interesting. It was just last July and it was a, a piece on their blog about saving a billion dollars out of the system, about how their simple mission is advancing healthcare. And it was referring to the cost savings that happens through accountable care by making the cost of care at the end of the day uh, less for everyone involved. It's some of the things that when I focus on the consumer-facing sides of things, that's not necessarily a piece that comes up a lot, about, hey, guess what, we just made this easier for you and you don't even realize all the cost savings, Mr. Mr. or Mrs. Consumer or Patient, things that went on behind the scenes that you probably don't even care about. Uh, you, you just want this experience to be easier for you, right? Or you want it to be less expensive? But there's a lot that adds up to get to that point, and so I just think the the mission right off the bat, the fact that they are this type of that they're focused on accountable care is interesting. What were some of your first thoughts about these guys?
1: Yeah, I had the, some of the same thoughts, and, and just really impressed with their ability to create. You know, they they define themselves as a SaaS technology or software as a service. Particularly for providers, and it's really refreshing to see a company, an organization that's really, truly empowering providers and primary care physicians, um, in particular, in, in underserved areas of the country, to provide better care by by really, you know, streamlining their workflows and trying to take some of the tasks and daily activities that providers do to either automate or Take some of the the legwork out of that, so they can really provide that uh, consumer focused care. And you know, I'm I'm a big guy of on as you are as well, Jared. Stories and videos, and they did a really nice job capturing some testimonials or stories from providers that they serve across the country. And, And one that really caught my attention was a physician out of the East Coast area. I think it was New Jersey, and worked for a a practice that had been established for 60 plus years and the pandemic just like for so many hit them really hard. And he talked about the ability to leverage telemedicine and how Allidade really made that resource available to them and accessible to them so that they could kind of stay afloat financially and otherwise. And they're able to keep their practice intact and, and are continuing to serve patients in their in their area. So I I love hearing stories about that because it's it's one thing to look at the the nuts and bolts and the in the the data, which is so critically important. But there's also some really good stories of how they're taking technology and really making it work for their providers and their partners across the country so that they can Serve patients in a more meaningful way.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think it starts all at the top, right, with their leadership, and their leadership roster includes their CEO Farzad Mustashari. And Farzad, he was the former national coordinator for health IT at Department of at the Department of Health and Human Services, so knows a thing or two about scaling. I figure out, you, you know, that's, that's kind of how how I look at that. You know, prior to that, he founded the the New York City primary care information project. It was a project that equipped 1,500 physicians in underserved communities with EHRs. So access, I would say, is one of those pieces, as well as you know being clinician led and understanding the needs of clinician leadership to drive a new business model like this. And so I think that part was interesting about Farzad. And then Matt Kendall is their president and he began his career as a health clinic executive. So, you know, from what I've read about him, uh, he feels like that that provided him kind of firsthand knowledge about the needs and challenges for primary care physicians. So one of the projects he led was through the Department of Health and Human Services. It was called their Regional Extension Center Project, but it connected over 140,000 primary care physicians with local partners to support implementation of EHRs. And so both of them being in the clinical space uh, Farzad is you know is a trained physician and then Matt is, uh, he has a masters from Johns Hopkins so they're at least aware of what you need to have happened there and i think that sets them up they were founded in 2014 so it's been going for a while now but and, any comments on their leadership or how how might that have affected their trajectory
1: yeah it is you know it's interesting I saw some of that as well you know kind of their background in population health and public health in general and they're very open about their kind of humble beginnings but they've quickly formed this team. Of people that had some of the business acumen that maybe they were lacking, or you know, different skills, skill sets, and, and foundational knowledge needed to kind of grow a business. And I really appreciate their how they kind of tell that story, and, and they they saw a need and were able to kind of develop a team to help bring that vision to life. And as you mentioned, being established since 2014, that's pretty impressive this day and age particularly for organizations that are, you know, getting involved with digital health, as we know, that continues to be uh, such a, a priority or such a, a lot of momentum right now around that. And so many people trying to figure out the best way to, to leverage technology and, and services. And and they seem to kind of blend that that combination of technology with compassion, you know, driven by some of the clinical... Uh, influencers within their organization. And I think that's what I kind of notice and what sets them apart as they really try to help these different primary care groups make this shift um, into value-based care by leveraging the technology that, that allows them to really provide more personalized and compassionate care to their patients. So they, they seem to have kind of found found the the right blend of technology and compassion that's needed to really make this work.
0: Yeah, that's so true. Compassion, that's a big part of this. The disclaimer here is you know, we don't have any insider information. We're basing a lot of this on publicly available statements, right? So we're going off of kind of what we have access to, but at least on the surface, appears to be compassion in not just how they're approaching care for patients, but also for all the physicians involved. And so that, that's an important piece here. I can walk through just really briefly kind of the, the growth or some of the news headlines that they've had associated with them. And most of them here in the last couple of years, but like we said, they were founded in 2014. That was when they raised their initial round of four and a half million dollars. They have since raised quite a bit more. They've had a series E round. Their total funding amount is over $400 million over the years So it's a well-funded group for sure, and they have always seemed like they've planned to scale all along. So in July 2021, they referenced having 800 primary care practices in in their organization. In January of 2022, they acquired Iris Health. So an interesting piece there. Iris HealthCare was referred to as the best-in-class provider of advanced care planning, So they were already responsible for tens of thousands of of patients across the country. The press release on that said it it was to help more patients receive care consistent with their values and their preferences. And Allidade was supposedly there to help deliver to its nationwide network of, at the time, more than 1,000 independent primary care practices and health centers. So basically they said, hey, Iris Healthcare became part of their solutions group and the acquisition was to help establish a new health services arm that was part of a pretty significant growth period for for uh, In June twenty twenty two is when they had it looks like their most recent series. So that was another one hundred and twenty three million dollars in a Series E round. So no, nothing small there. I mean, uh, from that first round of four and a half million, that's uh, that's quite a jump here. So in December 2022, so very recently, they hired a chief commercial officer. Sean Kavanaugh was the previous chief commercial officer, and uh, he will remain as the chief policy officer. But they brought on Ananya Banerjee as chief commercial officer. So an interesting one there, which is funny because uh, according to Moby Health News, ChenMed actually sued them saying that she broke her confidentiality agreement to come over to work with Allidade. So... Interesting, interesting piece a little there too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering, you know, just in terms of that trajectory, it's very clear they they want to keep growing. And the most recent couple of rounds there suggest that they plan to continue scaling the piece that they've got now. So any thoughts on just the growth and trajectory? Does it does it feel like that could benefit consumers? And if so, uh, how might that I don't know, just any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, the the growth part is is encouraging to see that not only the fact that they've been established since two thousand fourteen, but continue to get a lot of the funding that you mentioned and seem to have a real focus on culture. That was one of my takeaways from some of the research I did just based on their, you know, kind of careers section and different areas of the website. They really put an emphasis on a strong culture and they're truly trying to create a work environment that's Appealing for folks, um, so that I think also kind of lends itself to this idea of growth in addition to all the funding that they're continuing to get and starting to really bring in folks that can help with the the scalability and the commercial growth as you mentioned and to me, that's smart, right because you've got kind of the visionaries at the onset with a background in population health and a background in public health. And a focus on on that that mission, but a very strategically kind of layered in different areas of expertise. Not only just not only clinically, but also now, really from a business perspective. So they've they've got something that works. They've got something that clearly there is a need for, as demonstrated by their you know eight hundred, as you mentioned. I think eight hundred primary care practices across the country now they're starting to bring in folks that can help them continue to grow and, and there seems to be a need for it particularly with their focus on on population health there's i think there'll always be a need to to serve the underserved and that seems to be in the fabric of their DNA
0: yeah one article i found on in med city news just from last september was following on the heels of of Allidade saying that their value based network has saved practices actually a total of $1.2 billion dollars over these eight years that they've been here. And a couple of the numbers that were interesting to me in that were that they partner with more than 1,000 independent primary care practices, and that includes more than 140 federally qualified health centers. That's across 36 states and Washington, D.C. So more than 65% of the practices in their network are located in areas that have been federally designated as having a shortage of primary care health professionals. So that is a piece that is probably an an important part that we don't want to miss, right? Because then it refers to how in the Medicare Shared Savings Program, the MSSP, even just in that piece alone, practices in their network serve more than twice the average number of patients living in low-income communities. So addressing the needs of underserved communities in their primary care And being able to scale this in areas that, when compared to claims I see from digital health companies and other, and some of these retail companies also that just might look on the surface more appealing to be part of, what these guys appear to have done is drive the network that links together all these independent practices and provides them all of the benefits of an accountable care organization. So, again, it's kind of a traditional approach in my mind to value-based care, but the part that it really provides at the end of the day for consumers in underserved communities, like that's that's the part to double down on and kind of focus on and say, yeah, is there disruptive potential here? Absolutely, because these are parts that most of the big name retailers probably aren't showing a whole lot of interest in. That's probably not part of their their growth plan. The most recent one here was CVS acquiring Oak Street Health. They're focusing in a different way. Do any of the big retailers have a benefit for their shareholders to specifically focus on underserved populations? And without that piece, it's apples and oranges, in my opinion.
1: It is. And I would add to that, Jared, the I think a lot of this stems from the fact that they have a lot of clinical support and clinical guidance through their process, but they've really honored the importance of autonomy, you know, not only from a provider perspective, but from a patient's perspective as well. I think that's that's kind of a collective fear that providers have right now, that their autonomy is being stripped and their ability and their desire to really serve their community members and their patients in a meaningful way. And Alidaid seems to really honor that not only in the words that they use, but, but in the the proof of what they're providing. That you, you see these providers across the country who are able to really provide unique care while maintaining their local identity. And I think that's important for livelihood as providers providing the care but also to the patients that feel like they can go see their you know local primary carrier or physician that that knows their pets names and knows their families and all the things that are really important that doesn't seem to be compromised and if anything is being prioritized through this through this model
0: yeah i like the way you say that i agree i feel like it is prioritizing pieces that kind of get lost in a lot of the the big headlines we see from from the big names out there. So if we had to score these guys on you know a scale of one to ten, say from how disruptive they've been, you know, I'd probably give them, I don't know, I feel like that's that's a solid seven <laughs> because when they're focusing on the big picture here, they, at least, again, this is all based on publicly available statements and information, right? But from what I understand, they're focusing on savings in the overall system. So when they can point to a number like $1.2 billion and say, "Like, look, we've done our part. <laughs> we have improved the costs. That's a piece that, again, that we should hear more about. And for them to be able to uh, lay claim to that, I think it's great. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I would agree. I was going to somewhere between the seven and an eight. So I think we're kind of on the same page there. And I think what allows them to be disruptive also is their willingness to really be kind of behind the scenes. They've created this unique Software and technology that, of course, empowers providers, but it's very much you know behind the scenes. So, from a, a patient's perspective or a community members' perspective, they're just seeing their physician, and it feels more efficient and it feels more personable because of what Allidate is able to provide uh, through their services and their technologies. And they seem to be committed to maintaining. Not only that high level of technology savviness, but also keeping it behind the scenes, that, that their intention is not to kind of be front and center, but rather to truly empower the providers and partners that they serve.
0: Well put. I like the thought of the consumer's not really probably knowing the difference. Maybe it's more of the type of experience that we would expect and that they're not getting in the way of the relationship between the provider and the patient that they are empowering that to be an improved type of experience. So yeah, yeah, right on, right on. Well, we'll leave it there for this one. Uh, we've been talking about Allidade and and we'll continue to profile a few other disruptors here. But again, it's another piece of the puzzle of how and what and where primary care looks like and what does the health care of tomorrow look like. So uh, it's been a pleasure to speak with you, Mitch, and, and have you here and look forward to having you on the next one.
1: Can't wait till next time. Thanks, Jared.
0: Thanks again.